The thing is, I'm sure if I said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you can do it next week, they would do it. You know, it's just about pacing yourself and being smart about it and uh, just being tough. Like, don't give up. And it totally can be done. That Triathlon Show, episode 89. Hey, happy new year, everybody, and welcome back to Death Triathlon Show and a new year, 2018. This is the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com, and I'm your host, Michael Erickson. Today's episode is one where we delve into how to train for ultra triathlons with Keith Rieger, somebody who's done five Kona Ironmans in five days back to back to back, and is now starting an event around that called the Kona Five. We'll talk about how to get started with ultra triathlons and how to train for them and prepare for them in general, if that interests you. But uh, if ultra triathlons is not your thing, Keith is also a very decorated runner, so we'll get into some of his top running tips for triathletes. So that's something that will be very beneficial for you, whether you're doing ultra triathlons or just short and sharp sprint triathlons. So there's something for everybody in this episode. Also, at the end of this episode, I'll talk a little bit about what's coming up in 2018 for that triathlon show. So stay tuned for that. And uh, I will mention a survey where you can you can have an impact. You can make your voice heard. What kind of content do you want to hear on that triathlon show in 2018? So stick around to the end of the episode to hear more about that. But first, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. They have sweat tested thousands of athletes and the average athlete loses about 950 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat, which is about twice what most traditional electrolyte supplements contain. To find out your ballpark number quickly, easily and for free, go to precisionhydration.com, which I linked to down below in the show notes. And if you want to buy their products, you can use the discount code thattriathlonshow, all one word, for 15% off. And this episode is also sponsored by Ventum. The Ventum 1 is a superbike with no down tube and no seat stays, which makes it more aerodynamic than any traditional triathlon bike. You can read all about their impressive wind tunnel results on VentumRacing.com, where they compared that to other uh, superbikes or other triathlon bikes. And Ventum 1 demonstrated significantly better aerodynamic performance with up to 24% less drag compared to the closest competing triathlon bike tested so if you're in the market for a new tri bike then the ventum one is the way to go now a short introduction to keith rieger today's guest he is the founder and event director of kona 5 he's a former ncaa nationally ranked distance runner a 20-time ironman finisher and three-time Xterra trail running world champion. He's a world duathlon bronze medalist, a three-time Western States 100-mile finisher, and a three-time Grand Canyon rim-to-rim-to-rim finisher. In addition, he is the founder and head coach of the Surprise Running Club in Surprise, Arizona, and also of the Surprise Special Olympics track and field team. He is originally from Georgetown in Ontario, Canada, but as I said, currently lives in Arizona. And he has written a book called Kona 5, Taking on Life's Challenges and Kona's Toughest Ultra Triathlon. And in November 2017, doing his second Kona 5, together with another ultra triathlete, Joshua Baker, they were filmed by Metatail Productions, and this will be released as a documentary in spring 2018. But without any further ado, let's hear the interview with Keith Rieger on ultra triathlon training and racing. So tonight I'm joined by Keith Rieger from Arizona. How are you doing, Keith? Hey, great. Thanks for having me on the show. It's my pleasure. We have been uh, having an email conversation here about your background a little bit and uh, especially your ultra triathlon endeavors. You are the founder of Kona 5, which means five Kona Ironmans back to back to back to back uh, five days in a row, which uh, sounds insane to me, but you've done that twice already and now you've started an event about that. So how did that come about? 
Yeah, that's the thing is, it's amazing sort of the journey that's brought me to ultra triathlon is that I grew up really more as a hockey player. And it wasn't until after high school, I got into uh, running and was fortunate enough to get a uh, scholarship at uh, University of New Mexico. So here I am a kid growing up in Toronto, Canada, and uh, moving on to the States and had a great running career there doing cross country and steeplechase. And then it was after I finished uh, my university career, I'd seen, you know, the Western States 100 mile endurance run on TV and I'd seen the Kona Ironman on TV and I kind of had those things as a bucket list items. So I tackled the Western States first. So I got into ultra running, started doing 50 milers, 100 milers, things to qualify and finally got in the lottery and ultimately ended up doing three times the Western States 100 mile endurance run. And then once I got that behind me, I said, hey, okay, now I'm gonna work on the Kona Ironman. So I started learning how to swim, learning how to bike, kind of like you, Mikhail, started off as a runner. So you have to go back to square one with these other sports. And uh, so yeah, I started doing triathlons and halves and then eventually Ironmans. And I ended up reading uh, Rich Roll's book, uh, Finding Ultra, years ago and learned about this epic five where they were doing five Ironmans, five days, five Hawaiian Islands. And um, uh, in 2014, I ended up getting opportunity to crew for a friend of mine uh, to do it. And then a week before, he ends up getting injured and isn't able to do it. So meanwhile, he'd already paid his entry fee. He'd already paid for all of my flights and all the logistics were in place to do it. So I was really blessed. The director gave me an opportunity, said, hey, by chance, do you want to do it? Since they only had two other athletes, they kind of needed some people to, to fill it out. And I said, wow, when am I going to get the chance to do this? Even though I hadn't uh, really been swimming or biking for a while. I'd taken a little break from uh, triathlon training, was more focused on ultras again. And uh, so I actually had to rent a bike, had to, uh, you know, get a wetsuit last minute. And I just jumped into it and ended up doing uh, that event. And that kind of opened me up to the whole ultra triathlon thing. And that gave me the idea, hey, well, you know, the last one at Epic 5 is on Kona, the Kona course. And I said, you know, this is the one I really want to do. And I could probably really simplify the logistics of it and the expense of it by doing this five days in a row. And so that's when I came up with the idea for Kona 5. And so I did that solo last year and ended up writing a book about it, Kona 5. It's on Amazon. And so it's about that event, but it's also kind of my biography. And then I started hearing from a lot of other people that were keen on doing it. And so I made it a public event this year and had another fellow join me, Joshua Baker. And um, so we just finished it uh, last month. We both completed it successfully and uh, it was quite the adventure. You kind of brushed over your running career there, but that's something that I think would make sense to give us a bit of a background piece of information because it's quite distinguished, isn't it? What, what are some of your main, uh, main achievements in your running days? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my specialty, you know, was cross country and, uh, and university. And then I got into steeplechase. That's where you're doing 3000 meters. You got the, uh, the barriers and the water jump. I love this sort of the adventure, the challenge of that and ended up having some really good success with that, you know, ran at, um, uh, Penn relays and, uh, Drake relays, Texas relays, Mount Sac relays. And, uh, just got some great experience with that. And so, yeah, after I finished university, when I got into uh, doing some ultras, you know, my goal was to do Western States. So pretty much any event I did was a uh, qualifier, had something to do with getting towards uh, Western States. And so, uh, so that was kind of my main thing. And then I ended up doing, you know, a few other uh, running events along the way, um, including the Xterra uh, Trail Running World Championships. And that one's in uh, Hawaii on Oahu. And I had a, a friend that had done it, um, a, a girl who ended up uh, winning it overall. And I'd done a few local events with her. So I kind of had an idea 
as where my pacing was with her. And I saw her times, I saw where she placed, and I kind of said, you know what, I think I have a chance to actually uh, win that. And so when did you get the opportunity to um, get a world championship? So anyway, so I uh, packed my bags and went to Hawaii for the very first time. I think that was back like 2012 and uh, did the Xterra Trail Running World Championships and won my age group. I think I finished ninth overall that year. And uh, here I am in, in, in my 40s and uh, still able to compete at a pretty good level. And so, yeah, I ended up going back two more times to, uh, to win my age group three years in a row. And after that, I was like, okay, that's a pretty cool accomplishment. And uh, kind of put that on the shelf and started focusing more on uh, the ultra triathlon stuff. So for the old triathlon, when you first did that Epic Five, what, uh, how big of a shock was that when you hadn't even prepared for it, but you were still able to do it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I was pretty amazed that uh, I was able to you know, get through it. And it just kind of goes to show that it's so much about um, your, just your mental side of it, uh, believing that you can do it and uh, pacing yourself, being wise about that and being wise about your hydration, nutrition. And so uh, ultimately I ended up doing three out of the five. And so uh, I did the first one, the second one, and then took two days off. I was pacing the other two guys that were doing it and then saved myself for the last one. And so, yeah, I was, I was pretty surprised at what I was able to do. It kind of opened up that, the floodgates of, uh, wow, you know, maybe I can do something even crazier than this. And it, um, you know, helped me to uh, reset my goals and make them, uh, I think, even bigger and better. And to set the background a little bit, what, what's your level like in swimming and, and biking? Let's say you do one off Ironman uh, as fast as you can. What, what would you do in the swim and in the bike? Yeah. Um, so my PR for Ironman swim is a 105. And uh, that was a few years ago. I think I've been improving a little bit on that. Um, and then my bike is a 516. And then my marathon, that's my strength. I did a 309 when I was, I think, uh, a few years ago. So I was in my 40s and did that. Yeah. So yeah, that's I've just never put together, yeah, I've just never put together that perfect race uh, to qualify. I'd always just miss out. And so I haven't actually done Kona by itself at the World Championships. And so that's what kind of gave me the idea, too, to come up with this event so I could experience it in a kind of a different way. Yeah, and only do five in a row. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so what did you, when you trained for Kona 5, because in, at that point I assumed that you did a lot of preparation and training for it. How how did you train? And, and what surprised you the most about uh, the preparation that it took for it? Sure. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, when you start getting into ultras, it's really the training that's the biggest challenge is, you know, is blocking out that much time and trying to keep balance in your life, especially what with was your life. weekly, your weekly training volume at uh, like your average and then your peak weekly training volume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say um, uh, probably, you know, I'll give you the peak first is that I build up Really, I'm always sort of training just to keep in shape and uh, uh, getting out for maybe 10 hours a week. I just enjoy that. So I always have that base fitness. So when I start to get ready for Kona 5, I really only need maybe three months to do it. And um, so I'll build up to where I am swimming um, maybe uh, four or five times a week. And I'm getting up to uh, 6,000 meters, maybe even seven or eight on a few of the longer days. And, um, and so I'm mixing in drills and, and um, intervals and then doing some distance swims. I even uh, did my longest uh, swim ever getting ready for this Kona 5. I did 10K 
in a 25 meter pool. So that was quite a few flip turns. <laughs> yeah. Did, yeah. You, did you have a Garmin to, to keep track of how long you had been going or did you count like uh, real swimmers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Eh? Is that, uh, uh, fortunately, yeah, I have the, the Garmin, uh, the 935 and yeah, you, I think you're going to ask me for some tips or, or insights, uh, later, but that was going to be one of them is that, man, you know, I always had the Garmin 910, which was great, but man, this 935 is amazing. Uh, I love it. It just all the, the analytics and everything. And, and you, Macau, being a scientific guy, I imagine you love it, be able to analyze what your athletes are doing that you're coaching or even yourself. But yeah, it was great. I was able to really track the, the swims easily. Um, but um, also, too, yeah, with, with the bikes is that the training for that you know, I put in uh, quite a bit of mileage there. I built up to where I was doing like uh, three rides a week. I would go out and do um, probably the peak. I was doing uh, 80 uh, one day, probably 80 miles another day, and then do a long one. I built up to like 140 miles and to try to make 112 seem easy. <laughs> yeah. So, did, did you have any, what the other, the shorter rides, uh, what what went into them? Did you have any sort of uh, intensity or any sort of race pacing or, or what, what it, was it just riding and getting out there and getting the miles in? Right, yeah, I try to mix things up. So the shorter rides, I'm always doing either uh, one mile intervals or two mile intervals. And so it'll be one mile on, one mile off, and just are constantly doing that. And uh, nothing too crazy, because yeah, you know, you're building for an ultra, it's not like you're doing a 70.3 or something yeah. like that. So when, you know, probably max 80% of my uh, VO2. And um, and then on the long days is that um, I would uh, do uh, some intervals where I'm just pulling a really tough gear. So just building up that strength for a mile at a time out of every five miles, I'll do that. And then I'll, I'll, I'll throw in some hills in there too where I'm actually getting out of the saddle. And that's key too with Kona is that there's some pretty good hills in there, especially climbing up to a V and you got a headwind and some of those hills. So... That's what that's what I do on the bike. The, yeah. And just to finish up that training volume question is, yeah, with the running is that I get out uh, probably four times a week. And uh, same thing, mixing it up. I do uh, uh, like 400 meter intervals and 800 meter intervals. And uh, I do that um, about twice a week. Then I would do a run that's kind of a strength training run where I yeah, mix in like lunges and knee lifts and uh, butt kicks and then even uh, some wind sprints into that run and uh, I call that kind of my strength training run and uh, I would get up to like 12, 14 miles of that and then I would do one really long run and I get out on the trails to do that and I built up to, I think I built up to maybe like 22 miles and uh, that, that was pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. So for those 400, 800 meter intervals that you mentioned, is that again uh, a bit more moderate in intensity? Like you mentioned, eighty percent of VO two, so that's uh, a bit below threshold. It was that the same with the run, or did you do them harder, or what was the intensity for those intervals? Right. Good question. Yeah, being the ultras, I'm really only getting up to uh, probably ninety percent on those. Uh, more because I just love running. I love running fast, and uh, but I, I try to hold back. And is that's the, the the key thing too is is that in all this ultra training is that it's usually going to be the run that's going to get you injured so i'm really hyper careful of not pushing myself too much on the run yeah and the number of sessions there that you have you have four swims uh four runs and three rides i mean that's not a lot of uh, more serious age groupers train that number of sessions but i guess it's the time that you need to put in that makes it uh very different from preparing for a 70.3 or something so so what did the uh, weekly volume in terms of hours end up being if you if you have that right I, I i would guess it's getting up around uh 20 to 25 uh a week yeah well it's, yeah. it's still surprisingly i don't know I, I guess i would have imagined maybe 25 to 30 it may pro potentially yeah. even even more than 30 so yeah it's uh on the low end of what i would have expected so so i, I think that's something that uh, anybody who's kind of interested in ultra ultras can take take away that it doesn't need to be like 
insane amounts of volume, even though that's obviously a lot, uh, a whole yeah, lot. I, I totally agree with that. And, uh, and that's the probably one of the biggest takeaways I had from that Epic Five was that you know, I hadn't uh, swam in months. I hadn't biked in, in over a year. And fortunately, I had some running base. But I just jumped into that and uh, was fine. And so that's the thing, like, uh, you know, I, I talk to people that are they're keen on doing Kona 5, but maybe they've, they say they've only done an Ironman recently. <laughs> so I kind of laugh at that, of course. But, um, but the thing is, I'm sure if I said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars if you can do it next week, they would do it. You know, it's just about pacing yourself and being smart about it and uh, just being tough. Like, don't give up. And it totally can be done. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to do a, a crazy amount of training. Probably the biggest reason that I did that so much training, especially this time around, was because I was directing this event too. You know, we had a whole film crew out there. Um, I'm trying to manage the social media and, and I'm trying to coach uh, Joshua, the other athlete that's with me. The most that he'd ever done is a two day event. And so I'm trying to manage all this stuff. And so I'm like, okay, I got to make sure that I'm rock solid as far as doing the event so that I can be, you know, get done in a reasonable amount of time and to be, you know, super sharp and not be a liability to everybody else. I'd be more of an asset to be able to help with uh, running the event. Yeah. Let's just really quickly run through an example swim session. You, you kind of alluded to what you had in there, but what would a key swim set look like for you? Sure. So probably like say I was doing uh, 5,000 meters is that I would do a 500 meter warm up and then I would do uh, start with 50 meter uh, intervals uh, with roughly like a 15 second break in between. Uh, then I get up to 100 meters, 200, um, probably 200 is probably the max. And, um, and so I'm doing like thousands of those, like thousand meters of 50, thousand meters of, uh, of a hundred and so forth. And then, you know, then I might mix in some drills too. And, um, so that's probably about it. And, um, and if I could share some insights on, on swimming is one of the things, you know, I learned about you, Mikhail, is with your running background, you had to learn how to swim at a later point in life. And uh, so, yeah, getting a coach was so key and uh, helping me to figure out what I was doing uh, right and what I uh, need to improve and to be able to film you, to give you, a, you know, that visual feedback and uh, to help you, uh, you know, work on the specific drills that are really going to benefit. And so for me, that was recently, I've really learned a lot from uh, swimsmooth.com, uh, that website and that coaching program. And the key for me was uh, in increasing my cadence and, um, and, and then learning to, uh, you know, I always would breathe on both sides, but I'd breathe every two strokes. And so I increased it to every three strokes, some bilateral breathing and, um, and just even things out. And because my cadence higher is that allowed me to, to breathe still on a pretty much regular basis and a comfortable basis. And that's what probably helped me the most with my swimming. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I, we actually in the episode after this one, I've already done the interview. We talk about aerodynamics and upgrades, and we do like a cost-benefit analysis, like how much time can you save per per euro spent or dollar yeah. spent. And and in triathlon, if you if you broaden the scope to triathlon, I think that getting a swim coach, if you're a non-swimmer, that's by far the best investment you can make. The most time saved from from money spent can come from having a having a few coached lessons and uh yeah i totally agree swim smooth is a brilliant resource i, I don't agree personally with uh, the bilateral breathing at least like yeah in training but but i, I don't really think that that's not something that i recommend in racing but right. uh, to each to each his own and yeah. uh you found something that worked for you and at the end of the day that's that's what matters the most um was there anything i, I was asking you about the anything that surprised you about the training or maybe that you found the most challenging what, what was that yeah, the most challenging is, yeah, you know, just putting that time in is tricky. So you got to make sure that you got all your ducks in a row. You know, the the rest of your life is is uh, under control. 
for me, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm a marketing professor. I teach all my classes online nowadays. You got to love technology. And so that allows me to teach from anywhere at any time. So, you know, that's the one major advantage I have over probably most people that are working that 40 hour work week or, or even more is that I'm able to uh, get that training in. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing is just setting aside that time. Um, at the same time too, is don't, uh, you know, worry too much if you can't put in that much time as we talked about earlier is, yeah, you know, is, uh, you can still go out and do an, an Ironman with a, you know, a limited amount of training. Uh, sure, you might just have to, uh, you know, uh, scale back your pace and uh, be a bit more realistic with your goals, but it totally can be done. Do you, are there any, you're probably much more familiar with the ultra triathlon world than I am. So uh, would you, do you have any recommendations for like a first ultra triathlon event that somebody interested might try to tackle as their first one? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm probably not the best person to ask because I, I didn't take the traditional route. I kind of just got thrown into this. And so I kind of skipped the whole Ultraman thing where that's like a three-day event. But uh, from what I understand, uh, those are pretty awesome events. And uh, I think there's a pretty good amount of them around. I think Florida's coming up in uh, February. And so I think that consists of like a 10K swim they start with on day one. Then I think they do maybe like 70 miles on the bike that day. Then they all stop. You sleep that night. The next day you go out and bike. And I think they're biking like 200 plus miles on the second day. And then the third day they're doing a 50 mile uh, run. And um, so I think those are uh, well run events. I would imagine that would be a good first event. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what about the things that come into uh, preparing for an ultra triathlon outside of the training, like the preparation, planning, equipment, nutrition, and so on? What tips do you have uh, in uh, about that, about those topics? Yeah, is that um, I would say get a good coach, you know, and get somebody that has that experience and they're going to just help you to do it. Uh, I'm all about working smarter, not harder. And uh, so tap into, uh, you know, that, that, that said, Keith, not everybody's going to do that. I wish, yeah. I wish they would, but, but they're not. So, right. so let's try to try to give some, some tips for people that want to try to, to do something themselves. Right. Okay. Is, um, how about Mikhail? Can you steer me a little bit more there, and what you want me to touch on? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's start with let's start with the preparation. Yeah. And and planning. Do you need to like do what what do you need to like? How do you do you sit down with the map and look, make a pace plan or something like that? Or or what what specific things do you do there? Right. Okay. Yep. So of course you know pick out your event and hopefully you have at least uh, probably three or four months to prepare for an ultra. And hopefully you have a, a reasonable base like that you could go out and do uh, uh, Olympic triathlon tomorrow if you had to. And uh, and then, you know, the 10 percent rule of building up only 10 percent more each week. And I'm all about periodization, too, meaning that uh, you're going to build for three weeks and then recover for a week and then, you know, do that again the following month. Um, and initially, you know, start with more about um, uh, 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 low intensity and, and, and slowly build that up, too. You don't need much intensity if you're doing an ultra. Um, but that's it. And then, you know, I, you know, do believe it or not, I do. Most of my training programs I have in my head. I don't even write them down. I think because I've been doing it long enough, I know my body is that I, I just kind of go uh, off a of rough uh, guidelines that I have in my head and I go a lot by feel. I don't actually ever schedule even a day off because I know that either I'm going to feel tired someday or feel sore and I'll just take it off then or life will get in the way and I'll just have a bunch of work stuff or uh, other stuff going on and I'll, I'll have to miss some workouts. So I know that uh, I'm eventually get some time off, but that's kind of the way I do it. Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's actually a, a very smart thing to do. It depends on, on the person, of course, but yeah. but, but I, I think that that sounds like very smart to, to do that because, yeah, as you said, you know that something is coming up. 
Right. And, and so that's the way I do it. But, you know, I'm pretty experienced. I coach, uh, you know, a lot of people myself. And uh, so I wouldn't say advise that method for everybody. I would say, yeah, you know, write it down, even if uh, it's, it's something as simple as getting a pad of paper out or your phone out, do what you got to do. Or, of course, tap into like training peaks or other great programs like that. And if you have a coach, I'm sure they got a preferred program they want to use. Um, but yeah, keep that in mind that uh, you got to go how you feel. And, and even though you have a plan written down is that uh, it's, it's not going to go exactly like that. And, and with preparation for the event itself, do do you have a pace plan or, or how did you pace the event? Did you use heart rate or pace or just perceived exertion? Right. Uh, I do more perceived uh, exertion and um, and for the Kona 5 is, yeah, you definitely got to go out easy. And that's kind of the cool part about it is that you know, because you know it's an ultra, you're doing it five days in a row, is you're not going at, you know, a crazy race pace. You're able to kind of enjoy it, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the camaraderie of it, and take it all in. And uh, so, yeah, so um, at the same time, even that first day, you know, you got to hold back. And uh, even though you feel good, you're excited, your adrenaline's going, you got to hold back and uh, save yourself for the following days. And uh, But it is kind of funny, though, Mikhail, because... You know, the constant thing in your head is, you know, you as soon as you wake up, you're like every minute counts. And so you want to get done as quick as you can so that, you know, you're going to maximize your sleep that night. But at the same time, you got to hold back so you don't burn yourself out. So you can't go too fast. And so, 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 how, so, so how long did you roughly take to complete the Ironman each day and and then then i guess you eat and you go to sleep as quickly as possible how much sleep did you get per night <laughs> right so we i would get up about uh 5 15 every morning and then we our goal was to leave at 6 a.m sharp soon as there was a little bit of daylight and so the one unique thing about this event too is we start with the bike and so that allows us to uh get going uh even when it's still a little bit dark out and uh, minimizes the heat and minimizes the wind and minimizes the traffic. And so we start with that bike. Um, we would usually be done by about uh, 1.30 um, in the afternoon, maybe two, because we're taking breaks along the way, stopping at convenience stores to restock. And at the halfway point in a V, we'd stop at the coffee shop and, and literally like uh, have a light lunch and coffee. And uh, so, you know, it's a bit of a leisurely pace, even though, yeah, that sounds nice. yeah, even though we're still, as far as riding, we're, we're averaging probably around 17 and a half miles per hour. Uh, one day we're up over 18. Um, and whereas if I was doing, you know, an Ironman just by itself, I'd be up over 21. So it's a, it's a much more leisurely pace. Um, and then we would do the swim next. And um, I would do that like around a 110. And, um, and so and that's no breaks, just keep going, of course. And, uh, and same thing, it's, it's awesome. You know, the, the beauty of uh, seeing the coral reef, the fish, the, the turtles, you name it, uh, dolphins out there. And you get to just kind of, you know, enjoy all that. And uh, when you're not going at race pace. So then uh, we do the marathon last. And so uh, we get started with that around probably like 4.35, somewhere in there. And so uh, it's pretty cool running along Alihi Drive as the sun's going down, checking out the ocean and and just, you know, the, the town and uh, all the people and everything, all the action. And, uh, and then um, usually finishing the marathon around 9.30, 10 in the evening. And so, yeah, the whole thing with breaks, you're looking at about like a 15 and a half iron man each day. So the trick for me is that I, with my work, is that it never stops. And so I still had to, as a marketing professor, I still had to grade papers oh, no. and check in <laughs> classes. Yeah. So a few of the days where I had a ton of grading to do, I was up till two in the morning uh, trying to finish all that. And so um, I think where Joshua was getting probably, you know, 
five hours a night is like I was getting less some nights. I was like that one night I only got three hours sleep. It's crazy. I, I, I'm, I'm just typing <laughs> yeah. here because I, I, I think that that will be the the outtake from this episode that goes at the, at the beginning of every show. That was that was so crazy. <laughs> so w- uh, what about so okay? But that's uh, you're not getting much sleep. But uh, then again, it's five days, so so it sounds like it's still manageable, and you still get on some of those nights. Maybe you get get almost seven hours of sleep. What about nutrition? That's the final part of this uh, ultra triathlon. Uh, part of the interview that I want to get into. What what do you do for nutrition? Sure. Is uh, one of the biggest sort of uh, maybe things I had to learn and mistakes I see by other newbies is trying to eat too much and especially during the event. And so I keep it pretty simple and I do a, uh, quite a bit of a liquid diet. So for the Kona 5, I'd get up first thing in the morning, I'd do a fruit smoothie and a little bit of protein power, but it's just all organic fruit in a smoothie. Easy to digest, good to hydrate you, and that was the main thing. Um, and then during the bike, I would take um, like a, uh, a power bar with me, and I'd do um, uh, Gatorade, and I would do um, Ensure, and then um, at the halfway point, I had a I'd always make a, the only real solid food besides the maybe a little bit of power bar stuff is I'd bring a, um, uh, a toasted uh, almond butter and jam sandwich and like on healthy bread, Ezekiel bread. And that was it for my lunch, pretty light. Um, I'd usually have a, uh, you know, a, uh, uh, iced coffee and, um, yeah, and then pretty much uh, Gatorade, and then I would do uh, S-caps uh, for my salt and uh, electrolytes. I'd probably do a total of about eight of those a day, and um, so that was it. When I get back from the bike, uh, so we go back to the Kona Five house, uh, kind of regroup. I would do a uh, protein smoothie uh, where I do almond milk um, with a, an egg. And then almond butter, protein powder, and a banana. Okay, and a so I got I gotta gotta interject here because I'm a big smooth fan my, myself, and uh, uh, and I love eggs as well. But when yeah. you do the smoothie, do you put the egg uh, raw in the in the blender and then you just blend it, or or how do you include the egg in the smoothie? Or did I totally misunderstand you? Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, yeah, everything into uh, to the blender. Yeah, and mixes it all up and. Yeah, it, it you know it, you wonder like wow you know, brilliant just... yeah I, I mix my eggs in my oatmeal which is something that almost nobody does so so that's something that that, <laughs> uh, that I use eggs for but this is new so yeah I'll, I'll actually go and try this after after this you like put, you're putting raw eggs in your oatmeal I do yeah I do oh, you're so, like and, you're like and, Rocky and Greek and Greek <laughs> yogurt but but then I warm it up in the, in the microwave so. Uh. So, That's so awesome. it, it, it kind of cooks, but yeah, it's it's brilliant. And then some berries, and and you can even put protein powder in the in the oatmeal as well. So, oh, um, a complete complete meal. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. That Michaela reminds me. You know, when I was a kid and I watched uh, Rocky for the first time, and I don't know if you've seen that movie, but yeah, I think you're a bit younger than me. But you know, uh, he'd get up in the morning to go for his runs, and he'd he'd get the raw eggs right and put them in the glass and drink raw eggs. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. I never doing that when I was a kid trying that. And after the first time, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing that again. This is a bad idea. So anyway, I put, every, I put everything into the blender and uh, yeah, it tastes awesome and uh, get some, uh, a lot of calories in you and pretty easily uh, to digest. And then head off to uh, the swim. And uh, so we'd run down to uh, the pier and um, take a, you know energy drink with me, uh, like usually just Gatorade. That's the thing. I don't, I don't do anything too fancy. You know, I use a lot of Hammer Nutrition products, but um, I'll even a lot of times just prefer Gatorade. And so that's what I'm doing. And do, then, do you know uh, how, many, how many calories you're getting? And are you, are you on a specific plan to get in a certain amount of calories per hour that you right. get pretty particular about it? Or is it more on feel? Yeah, I don't, I don't get too analytic about it. It's more by feel. But I think the key is, you know, one of the things I learned from doing ultras is, you know, uh, especially if you're, you're, you're pushing yourself, uh, say like the Western States 100 mile, is that, you know, your body can only digest like probably about 300 calories an hour. Yeah. And, and so the mistake is people try to think that they got to replace 
each calorie that they're burning and your body just can't digest it. And so that's why people, you know, get bloated, why they uh, get nauseous and why they get sick. And sure enough, even, you know, Joshua experienced that. You'll see it, you know, when the movie comes out is after day two, he was, you know, he wasn't nearly as, you know, focused on his nutrition. He was kind of just eating whatever. And, um, you know, I was trying to coach him up on it, but I, he ended up kind of, learning the hard way is he was just taking in trying to take in too many calories and he got pretty nauseous pretty sick and it wasn't until he slowed that down and focused more on liquid calories and is that he uh, you know came around but that's that's the thing for me is about 300 uh, uh, an hour and realize you know your your body uh, the blood is going to your skin to cool you down especially when it's hot and in Hawaii and it's going to your muscles, of course, you know, to bring oxygen. And so it's not going to your stomach to digest that food. So it's very limited what you can digest. And so that's why I, I keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. And 300 calories per hour, that's uh, 75 grams uh, of carbs. Or yeah, if you, you maybe have something else, but mostly carbs, it sounds like with the liquid. Uh, yeah. So so yeah, that's uh, right in, in that sweet spot range, as, as you say. Let's yeah. quickly cover running because uh, as we talked about, you have been a very competitive runner and you are the founder and head coach of the Surprise Running Club in Arizona. So I, I have just a few questions for the listeners that may not be super interested in ultra triathlon, uh, but I think that they can get a lot of value out of from, from you with your running experience. So the first of these questions is, and again, keep it uh, short and concise, what are yeah. some common mistakes you see triathletes or even runners make in their run training? Sure. I would say that they ramp up their training too quick, especially if they're newbies and they get injured. So, yeah, you know, ramp it up slowly. Go with that 10% rule of only 10% more each week. Um, make sure you have, you know, some recovery time in there. Um, and listen to your body. Like if you're feeling something, is back off. And that's one of the benefits of triathlon. And one of the reasons I took it up, similar to you, Mikel, is yeah, anytime I feel any tweak, like something not right with my running, is I back off and I go bike, I go swim. And, uh, and that's the thing. Like when you're doing triathlon training, is almost all the injuries are going to come from running, yeah. not swimming or bike. So yeah, be super careful. When you feel something coming on, back off. Um, the other key thing I didn't really mention is I do all my training um, on soft surfaces. So That's the Albert Salazar model. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, he was training athletes at University of New Mexico when uh, when I was there. So I watch him do that with his athletes. They're all running on the grass. And so that's unfortunate where I live. We got great parks around here. I do all my intervals on the grass and I wear kind of a minimal uh, shoe, pretty much a cross country shoe, allows me to get up on the balls of my feet, have good running form. And um, I do that in my uh, super long runs. I go up into the mountains. I run on the trail. I never run on the sidewalk or on the roads. I totally try to avoid that. Yeah. And especially training for an ultra trike can imagine that that has saved you really uh, for the listeners yes. that may not know albert salazar is the a great running coach and uh former elite runner one of the best in the world that he, in, in his time who coaches yes. Ofer and galen rupp uh, among others uh and right. so so let's say you do that you are careful and and maybe you switch your your uh running on on hard surfaces to soft surfaces uh, what are some tips that you can leave the listener give the listeners to make sure that they're run training is uh, effective in terms of how to structure it and uh, maybe some workouts that you that you have a tendency to be be drawn towards sure so a few quick tips is that periodization too where you know you're not going hard all the time i see that mistake so you know say if you look at a whole year plan is you know build for maybe uh five to six months and then take a month off and then back off big time and then do the same thing for the second half of the year. But you have your times where you're building, you have your times for your recovery. Same thing then if you break it down by the month, we said build for three weeks, have a recovery week. And then even throughout each week is that I try to mix in those intervals with the long stuff. And so I rarely run in the middle, meaning uh, go out for sort of a medium pace run. I'm either working on my speed 
uh, doing like 400 meter intervals or 800 meter intervals, or I'm working on my endurance where I'm going really slow, really long. And so with uh, intervals is that me being kind of an efficient guy is I don't like wasting time. And so um, I don't stop at all with those interval runs. So I do say 400 meters fast, but then I'll do 400 meters easy. So I'm not actually stopping. And so I'm always moving. And so that allows me to kind of pack in a really solid workout in the least amount of time. And I think there is actually some some solid evidence uh, about active recoveries being more beneficial for performing in subsequent intervals than than passive recoveries just standing around so right. so yeah i totally agree with that approach on uh just jogging between intervals and, and not standing Good uh, to hear. yeah what? so what, so if you if you do let's say you coach a triathlete uh who is doing three runs per week would one be a long run and one an interval run and the third one would be a just basic or, or I don't want to put words in your words in your mouth. Yeah. What, what would that be in, in general or on average? I'd probably say if they were doing three is I would do uh, that third one. I always do as that strength run that I kind of alluded to earlier where you're going at a uh, easy pace and uh, every mile I'll mix in um, the um, uh, knee lifts. Like I'll do, uh, you know, 50 to 100 uh, knee lifts. And then I'll mix in like 30 to 50 lunges and then uh, like probably like 50 butt kicks. And then I'll mix in a, um, a wind sprint where I'm doing maybe about 75 meters on a gradual uphill uh, where I'll build up my speed. And uh, that helps uh, uh, have that speed, but also it's good for uh, uh, strength building too. So that's kind of my strength run. And it's, it gives some variety. It's kind of fun to do. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Let's move into the rapid fire questions. And uh, the first one is, what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to triathlon or okay. endurance sports? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I have so many. I'm huge on reading. And especially when you're out there on the long bike rides, is I'm always listening to audible.com. I'm listening to audiobooks. And I'm listening to podcasts like yours and Rich Roll's podcast. I love it. And as far as triathlon goes, is a couple of books I'll tell you is uh, one of the first I ever read was Swimming to Antarctica with Lynn Cox. She's an ultra swimmer and her kind of niche is cold water swimming. And she actually swam like over a mile in the Antarctica and the water temperature was like wow. 30 Fahrenheit. It wasn't frozen because it was salt water. And she did this without a wetsuit. And anyway, as far as what I took from that book was just her mental toughness. And um, I was always like the the guy that, you know, com- first to complain about the pool being cold or swimming in ultra water, uh, you know, open water and being like, scared of sharks or whatever. I'm like, oh, man, this girl is like done everything i gotta suck it up and quit being a wuss (laughs) so that book was awesome and um another book i'm reading recently that's awesome and it's more general for life but i think you apply it to triathlon is you know it's called you are a badass and uh i think it's pretty popular right now it's like new york time bestseller but you are a badass and it's just who's the author of that one um i'm sorry one more time who's the author of of that book (sighs) You know, that uh, book, uh, let me look it up really quick for you, is uh, it's uh, a badass. And the author is Jen Sincero. And A-E-N-S-I-N-C-E-R-O. You are a badass. We'll have have that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to the next one and and let's uh, go through these quickly now. (laughs) But I I always love this question as well. So I was fascinated about that Antarctic swimming book, especially. That sounds crazy. Uh, What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Yeah, I just mentioned it earlier, the Garmin 935. Love it. And uh, the thing is so good about it is like uh, compared to say the Apple Watch is the battery lasts for uh, up to two weeks. So you, I only charge it maybe once a week. Uh, otherwise, I always got it on. I don't have to take it off at night to charge it. It keeps track of my sleep patterns. I can kind of see where I'm at with that. It keeps track. Of, it's got the heart rate monitor right in it. Um, so that also gives me an idea of like, okay, how good a shape I am? Do I need recovery time? What's going on? 
Um, and this thing, I never liked wearing the, the heart rate strap. And so even when I'm doing workouts, I find it be, you know, pretty accurate. And so it gives you that. And then, uh, yeah, and just syncs automatically with my iPhone with the Garmin uh, Connect app. So I can easily track my workouts now. Whereas before with my 910, I would only connect it to my computer and upload everything like once a month, if that. So I'm just way more analytical about seeing what I'm doing. In addition, it allows me to share it, you know, with uh, my other runners, my colleagues. And if I have a coach or whatever, I can share that stuff automatically. So, yeah, the Garmin 935. And I'm not even sponsored right now, but I just love it. Yeah, no, I can, I can see that, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and now I'm going to challenge you to keep this really short. Yeah. <laughs> I think this will be difficult. And yeah. I also really like listening to you. But uh, keep this to 15 seconds or so. What do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some point in your triathlon journey? Yeah, I would say, yeah, just don't put limits on your, on your goals and on uh, what you can do is, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from somebody like doing a half marathon or a half Ironman. You know, that's an amazing accomplishment. But uh, at the same time, realize, you know, yeah, you know, you could do an Ironman if you really wanted to. You can do an ultra triathlon. You know, for me, one of the biggest things that uh, helped me get through Kona 5 the first time last year when I was doing it solo is learning about Iron Cowboy, uh, the fellow who did 50 Ironmans, 50 days, 50 states. And I, I just kept thinking about that and go, wow, if he can do that, you know, doing five Ironmans, five days, self-supported is not that crazy. So even in my lowest lows, I was like, I got to suck it up. You know, this guy did so much more. I know I can do this. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, your website for Kona 5 for the listeners interested is Kona5.com and everything will be in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Anything else that you want to mention before we close off this interview? Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. You guys are doing an awesome job and sharing some great knowledge with the triathlon world. You know, I love your podcast. I love your newsletter. And uh, I love what you're doing with the coaching. So I hope uh, people are really tapping into that. Thanks a lot. This has been Keith Rieger, ladies and gentlemen. It was a real pleasure having you on the show, Keith. Thanks so much. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode. As usual, you can find the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. And hey, while you're there, press the button saying subscribe on email to the podcast and you'll get my weekly digest of the episodes released. They come out every Thursday or Friday and that is where I bring you some of my key takeaways in written and picture format. And so you'll get some extra insight from me about what I think about the the episodes. And... Uh, I've gotten a lot of feedback to include my top takeaways in the podcast episodes themselves after each episode. So thanks a lot for that feedback. Uh, that's something that I'll definitely try to do. And for this episode, my key takeaways were first that within reason it doesn't take as much as you may think to get into ultra triathlons. Just uh, what Keith said about not having biked for, for a year before doing uh, doing the, uh, the epic... Well, oh god, I'm forgetting what it's called again. But uh, yeah, the Epic Five, I think the Five Have I Ironmans. So, so that's something to and hadn't even been swimming either. So, and he still managed to do three Ironmans in five days, and then and then crewing for the other two days. So, so that's uh, if you have base fitness, it doesn't take much. Much, it's about pacing and uh, and grit and determination. The difference in training, if you want to train properly, as Keith described for his more recent, his Kona 5 attempts when he was training properly, is a lot about just getting in the miles. That doesn't mean going out and doing the same thing every day, but Keith had his training just in his head, not on paper, in a meticulously laid out plan, and he didn't get too complicated about it. It was the same kinds of sessions as you could do for normal Ironman training, really, so... He had some various intensities and and got the distance in, but I, I guess the main thing, the main point I'm trying to say here is that getting in the miles is the most important thing. That's the bullseye when it comes to ultra triathlon training. And not getting injured is another key, and especially on the run, as we talked about towards the end of the interview, running on soft surfaces and trails like Keith does, that's something that I, I think is definitely super valuable. And uh, I've been reading a lot about 
Alberto Salazar and his uh, running training philosophy, as we talked about briefly in the interview, and with his runners like Mo Farah and Galen Rupp that uh, are world-class and on the track or on the road for the marathon distance, they still do 90% of their running training on, on trails. It's uh, And all of Salazar's runners do that, and he's not the only one. I had some other coach uh, at the tip of my tongue, but I forgot who that was. But still, doing that is great. But also, you need to be aware of your body and any niggles that uh, may come up. And take a rest day when needed. This will allow you to be consistent in your training. And that's, at the end of the day, the, the key to success. And finally, I talked with Keith uh, for quite a while after the interview, and we got into the return of investment about doing something like Kona 5. And actually, it's not very expensive at all for what you get in terms of, uh, compared to to a lot of other Ironmans. Like, for example, if you do a destination Ironman, that, that might set you back a whole lot more, really, than, than the Kona 5, especially if you go with your family. So and you don't need a crew or anything for the Kona Five. It's self-supported. So so actually, it, it is pretty pretty affordable for for what you get to do and and do Kona five times, not just one. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think that was a good point that Keith brought up after the interview. So I wanted to mention that. And if you're interested in doing the Kona Five, then go check out KonaFive.com and uh, send in your application. So I have an important call to action for you today regarding the 2018 That's Triathlon show. And that is a survey, which is just very, very quick. There are two required questions only, and they are just checkboxes for you to fill in. You don't need to write a single word to complete the survey. Then there are some free-form optional questions that you can answer as well, and it's fantastic if you do. But if you only have 15 seconds, answering those first two questions is is uh, a whole lot better than nothing. It's the 80-20, and I'll link to the survey in the show notes, or you can go directly to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash survey and take that survey to get your voice heard about what you want that triathlon show to be like in 2018. I already mentioned this survey a couple of weeks ago on my newsletter, and I got quite a few replies already. So yeah, I want to actually talk a little bit about some of the questions that I have there. So you can, if you want to to yeah, make an impact, as I said, you can, uh, you can impact the way I take the show. And the first question is, what types of episodes would you like me to create in 2018? And the leaders right now are solo episodes, guide style to specific topics. And as an example, I put the strength training episode that I did in episode 81. Uh, So yeah, that kind of interview is leading the way together with interviews with researchers. And then on the second place or third place, it's interviews with coaches. And and I think this one with, with Keith would fall into that category because we talk about training and racing tips. And he's also a coach, even though we also talked about his own accomplishments here in the Kona 5 and then it's quite some ways back to to the next uh, few kinds of episodes coming up which include things like interviews with age group athletes interviews with professional athletes advanced episodes coaching case studies where I talked about talk about or would talk about how I coach the athletes that I coach Q&As what else do you have interview with industry people like company founders and so on beginner episodes if you are a beginner you need to you need to go and take this survey because those beginner episodes are lagging a bit uh, so that's the first question then uh, yeah then then it's just what kinds of guests would you like me to interview but that's sort of overlapping with the uh, with the one that I already described so I won't go into that but yeah so at the moment uh, the solo episodes interviews with researchers and interviews with coaches they seem to be the most popular episodes and if you want to reaffirm that, then go and uh, check those. And as I said, you can check many of these boxes. So all the kinds of episodes you want to hear, you can check all of them. And then it's just the the sum of them will kind of determine the priority of the episodes. It doesn't mean that I won't do Q&As if Q&As is lagging, for example. But it definitely means that I will do more of the ones that get the most votes. So Because I want to bring you what you really want to hear. So scientifictriathlon.com forward slash survey or check the show notes. 
In the next episode, which will be released on Thursday, we discuss aerodynamics, rolling resistance, weight and return on investment for cycling equipment with Sebastian Schlurike, who is a real guru when it comes to these things. So, And the best thing about that episode is how great Sebastian is at breaking down the cost-benefit analysis. How much do you pay per minute saved on an Ironman, for example, when you get a certain upgrade on your bike and some of these uh, things that we talk about and the cost benefit analysis specifically may surprise you big thanks to ventum for supporting that triathlon show check them out on ventumracing.com if you want the porsche of tri bikes then you want a ventum but as opposed to porsches or any other triathlon bikes you can get 110 percent of the value of your current bike towards the purchase of a new ventum bike so that's a pretty sweet deal Thank you also to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. Go and take their free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com to get a personalized hydration strategy for your next race and use the discount code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, for 15% off. And one more thing about Precision Hydration, I will start to write some guest articles on their blog pretty soon, so make sure to stay up to date with that by subscribing to their newsletter where you'll get to hear about that. Thank you, as always, for listening, especially to this uh, episode that ran a bit long, but it's the first one of 2018, so I think we can start off in a grand style. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.